From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello everyone and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up is their division in the Democratic ranks over a bipartisan infrastructure bill. And by the way, my party, you keep, everybody tell, t- tells me what my party is. My party is divided. Well, my party is divided. My party is divided, but my party is also rational. If they can't get every single thing they want, but all that they have in the bill that, that before them is good, are they going to vote no? I don't think so. That was uh, President Joe Biden last week after striking a bipartisan deal with Republican senators on a scaled back, albeit still massive, $1 trillion infrastructure bill. Will this uh, divide? the Democratic majority in Congress, and will Republicans be on the the moderate senators that negotiated with the Biden administration? Uh, Will they sign on? We'll talk with Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker in just a moment. And the Biden administration has taken a fix at the southern border and turned it into a fiasco as thousands of migrant children and their mothers are traveling hundreds of miles along dangerous routes alone to get to the U.S. border and then surrender to the U.S. Border Patrol. Former President Trump Join Texas Governor Greg Abbott and GOP members of Congress at the border today. We'll talk with Congresswoman Mary Miller of Illinois as she joins us from the border a little bit later here on Washington Watch. And yesterday, the GOP held a hearing on the origins of the coronavirus. What was the origin of COVID-19? We've asked that question for more than a year and requested that the House majority hold hearings to investigate the origins of COVID-19. Perplexingly, Speaker Pelosi has refused to allow a single hearing, calling it a diversion. As the American people will hear today from our expert witnesses, this is far from a diversion. That was Republican Whip Steve Scalise opening up yesterday's hearing on Capitol Hill. We'll look at what the experts had to say. Also, breaking news this afternoon, commercial satellite images reveal that China is building more than 100 new silos for intercontinental ballistic missiles. Could this be why U.S. intelligence reports have increasingly identified China as America's greatest military threat? We'll talk about it with Asian expert Gordon Chang later here on Washington Watch. And Louisiana's Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards is reportedly frantically working to convince lawmakers to not return to Baton Rouge for a veto override session after he vetoed several bills, including a constitutional carry bill and a bill protecting women's sports from biological men. If the legislature returns, it would be the first time under Louisiana's 1974 Constitution that they will have held a veto override session. It needs to happen. And guess what? You can help if you live in Louisiana. Gene Mills, president of our affiliate organization in Louisiana, the Louisiana Family Forum, joins us with the latest later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And, uh, folks, I want to thank all of you who have uh, stood with FRC, partnered with us as we come down to the end of our fiscal year. Today is the last day. If you've not yet made a contribution to partner with FRC, I would ask you to do so, to consider it, prayerfully consider it. This program and the work of the Family Research Council only happens because of folks like you across the country that are partnering with us. We've received no government money, none whatsoever, uh, never have, never plan to. We are here as a voice for you in our nation's capital, and we bring you 
news, unfiltered by the legacy media, bringing it to you from a biblical perspective. We've got folks standing by to take your call from our team. If you would like to partner with us, the number 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. This, again, is the last day. All right. If uh, you look at what is unfolding in our nation's capital, uh, the... uh, infrastructure bill could be a measure that divides the Democratic Party. Now, the president has been working with a handful, about six moderate Republicans, to try to pull together a compromise bipartisan bill. But progressive members of the uh, president's party are not happy with the scaled-back version that is uh, dropping out some of their pet projects. Uh, Joining me now to talk more about this is Senator Roger Wicker of uh, Mississippi. Senator, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tony. And let me just say thank you for being that alternative to the mainstream media. Glad glad to be part of your show today. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Senator, and thanks for for coming on. the, the the problem in the original proposal, the president wanted to, and the party wanted to tie the, the president's family plan, which they called uh, human infrastructure, with the passage of this infrastructure bill. Um, that's a non-starter with Republicans, is it not? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think we're long past due for um, a, a major effort for roads and bridges and ports and rail and add to that uh, the the new issue of, of our time in terms of infrastructure, that being broadband, uh, to move that out to rural communities and uh, the heartland of America. That's infrastructure in the minds of 99% of Americans. And I think that's where uh, the president uh, can get a deal if he's willing to exercise some leadership. I mean, that's a pretty generous deal when you're looking at a trillion-dollar infrastructure plan. Of course, that's on top of the, the normal budget. Um, I, again, I well, think that's that's generous. Why would he walk away from that? Uh, absolutely, and it is a, a tremendous amount of money. But bear in mind this. Uh, the pay-for actually repurposes a lot of COVID money from those five bills that were passed on an almost unanimous basis in uh, 2020. And then, of course, we'd like to repurpose some of that rescue bill that was unnecessarily passed in March. But uh, but there, there's money that cannot be used for COVID-related purposes, um, that it, it, at least until 2022 or 2023. Uh, so the, uh, the compromise is repurpose some of that money and also take this these funds that were sent to the states that are prohibited to be used as a match, as a state match for infrastructure and allow states to use that. And so a lot of, of the cost, of, as a matter of fact, most of the cost of this um, bipartisan agreement agreed to by 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats and the President of the United States actually takes money that's already been spent been spent and repurposes it for another purpose, which is, I think, a reason you'll get a lot of Republican votes if it ever comes to the floor. Of course, the the progressives trying to tie in 
uh, parental leave uh, as infrastructure, child care as infrastructure, caregiving as infrastructure. I mean, apparently the definition of infrastructure somehow changed since uh, I was in school and read the dictionary. Um, here's a clip from, from Sunday uh, where uh, Alexandria uh, Cortez was on with Chuck Todd talking about the progressives' position on infrastructure. Clip number one, please. We really need to understand that this is our one big shot, not just in terms of family, child care, Medicare, but on climate change. One big shot. Uh, and, of course, they're rolling in climate change. Um, they see this as an opportunity, as I think Democrats did back in 2010 with Obamacare, to fundamentally change government. There's no question about it. And to the tune of uh, $4 trillion plus on top of everything that we had to spend when the, when the economy was in a tailspin last year. And, and I, I don't think there are the votes in, in either the House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate to do that, which is, I think, why people like John Tester, um, Joe Manchin, and, and senators like that have joined together on, on, a, on a bipartisan basis. But, you know, Nancy Pelosi um, only has a four or five vote margin of Democrats to Republicans in the House of Representatives. She was she was shocked at the election uh, last uh, November. And and so she has to um, she has to actually um, try to satisfy. And you call the progressives. Uh, that's that's a term I'm not willing to use. It's the far left wing of a very liberal Democratic Party. And uh, th that may be um, the factor that actually um, makes that makes this plan fail. I hope the president and the speaker will exercise some leadership and uh, and get them to agree on something that, that most Americans can support. Uh, fair enough. You, you, you are correct. I was being nice. Uh, it is the far left part of, of the party. But they are increasingly becoming unsettled with Joe Biden. I mean, I think Joe Biden is liberal. Uh, when you look at the policies that he's pushed in the first five months, they want more. Could this be the fissure in the Democratic fault line that could uh, cause their majority to kind of begin to crumble? Well, you know, it, it hasn't been funny. It would be funny if, if, if it weren't uh, uh, so risky. But the president uh, seemed to be of two minds on this proposal right from the get-go. I mean, he endorsed it, walked out in front to the microphones with 10 Democrats and 10 Republicans. And then less than an hour later, uh, by my calculations, he was saying, oh, we're not, I'm not going to sign such a bill unless we have this massive, huge uh, reconciliation bill on my desk at the same time. So it would help if the president would decide uh, what he's for and, and what he's uh, against. And, and now, to, to our surprise, um, AOC uh, and, and uh, her far-left colleagues of the, uh, the squad uh, come, come out and say that they're not going to vote. Uh, they're not going to vote to send a package to the Senate unless they have an assurance that this bigger $4 trillion package can pass. Uh, they will not have the votes to do that. And um, so I don't know where that leaves us, but we've got to first have, according to the House and Senate rules, the House has to send us a revenue package that we can add this compromise onto. We cannot um, 
we can't get a, a Senate bill signed according, but, because of the rules. A little bit of inside baseball there. Right. If the House refuses to send us a legislative vehicle, then they can prevent this um, worthwhile uh, uh, exercise in bipartisanship from happening. Very quickly, Senator, and I want to thank you for joining us. We're almost out of time. But the the $4 trillion that they want in the quote-unquote human infrastructure, is there still the possibility they're going to do that through reconciliation? Uh, I don't think they have the votes to do it. And I'll tell you what, um, there have been some debate about whether Republicans should even be negotiating with Democrats until we have an assurance that they won't do this. Uh, I think if they had the votes to do it in the House and Senate, they would already have done it. The only reason the president and uh, Democrats are negotiating with Republicans is because they don't have the votes for this massive left wing program. Um, I I think it can still be done, but I I do not think the, the massive tax increase whittling away of that great 2017 tax cut. Senator, we're out of time, up against break. I want to thank you for joining us. I agree with you, by the way. I I don't think we should be negotiating without the assurances that they're not going to do that through the back door and reconciliation. Um, Thanks again for joining us. As always, great to talk with you, and thanks for your leadership on Capitol Hill. Thank you. All right, Senator Roger Wicker of uh, Mississippi. State to my home state of Louisiana. All right, when we come back, we're going to go to the southern border that is in Texas. Congressman Mary Miller is going to be joining us. She was there today with uh, President Trump and members of former President Trump and members of the uh, Republican Party from Congress going down there to see firsthand the fiasco created by the Biden administration. That's next. Don't go away. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org 
slash ProLifeMaps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, uh, we've got team members standing by to take your call. If you'd like to partner with us, 800-225-4008, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com. All right. The, uh, I was, as I've mentioned a number of times, uh, about a year and a half ago, took a couple of trips to the border. It was like a ghost town because the policy of remain in Mexico that uh, the previous administration, the Trump administration put in place, really just stopped the flow of illegal immigrants coming across the border. Well, the Biden administration has taken that fix, trashed it, and turned the border into a fiasco. This week, the Republican Study Committee and its chairman, Congressman Jim Banks, frequent uh, guest on our program, organized a trip to the southern border for about two dozen House Republicans, many which saw with their own eyes for the first time the humanitarian crisis that is taking place there. Joining me now to talk about what she witnessed last night and about her meeting with former President Trump and Texas Governor Greg Abbott at the border today is Congresswoman Mary Miller. She was uh, a part of the delegation. She represents the 15th Congressional District of Illinois. Congresswoman uh, Miller, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm thankful to be on, and I'm thankful to be here with President Trump to discuss this critical national security issue. Illinois is a sanctuary state, and most unfortunately, um, the Biden administration, uh, because I believe they're motivated by hatred toward Trump, they um, dismantled all the successful policies that he had put in place. And now we have a national security and a humanitarian crisis here at the border. I want to talk about that humanitarian crisis um, because you saw that firsthand last night. Describe to our listeners what you saw last night. Yeah. Well, we, of course, it was dark. I think it was midnight or one o'clock. Quite a few groups of women and children. I, there were no men with them. There were teenage boys. When we informed them that they had crossed the border, they were in the United States, they got big smiles on their faces. Uh, they were coming from Guatemala. They'd walked for two months. Um, they, I have to say, they didn't feel threatened. They were well-dressed. They were clean. Their shoes were actually cleaner than mine. It was muddy out there last night. Um, 
they looked well-fed. They had young children and babies with them. One woman looked like she was 13 or 14. She told me she was 17. She had a very small baby strapped to her back. They weren't carrying, a lot of them didn't even have backpacks. So they apparently were getting help along the way. They said they paid a cartel $200 to come. So that's very cheap. I am guessing they don't understand what kind of arrangements they made. Um, there were a couple children that teenagers picked up along the way. There was a little boy. He said he was eight. Uh, he had a backpack and he took his birth certificate out and he had a, a phone number on a piece of paper. He had been abandoned and the teenage girls picked him up. And then there was an even younger little girl. It was just very heartbreaking, six years old or five or six, I'm guessing. Um, I actually, I thought she was not alive. She, we could not rouse her at all, but we definitely determined she was alive. Um, but she was so exhausted. And um, I think my staff, I did take a picture of her. She, for some reason, she had little winter mittens on her hands, and she had a little doll curled up with her. It's, it's super heart-wrenching. And I, you know, of course, I'm a mom of seven children, grandma of many, many children. And, you know, I just, I love children. And I, I just cried. And, but then just to think how people in our country you know, we have got professors and politicians and athletes that are trashing our country. It is the most free and uh, the land of opportunity that's ever existed. And here these people are forsaking their homeland, walking for two months to go into an unknown, really, except what Biden's advertised that they are, are waiting for. But, um, you know, what a contrast there is. It, it is, you know, that it, and we saw this during the Obama years uh, when the borders were open then as well, that people would come to this country despite all of the, the things that are said about the country, those that would trash the country. They still want to come because this, you're absolutely right. This is a land of opportunity, but there's a way to do it in which people don't have to risk their lives. And not only do you have those individuals coming across, but I'm sure in your briefings, uh, that the Border Patrol is talking about the drugs that are coming across, the human trafficking that's taking place. Those uh, are issues that are being facilitated by this lack of enforcement at the border. Definitely that there's unprecedented levels of illegal migration, human trafficking, drug smuggling. I'm sure that terrorists are helping themselves to cross violent criminals and gangs, um, diseases, definitely COVID, but we know there's other diseases coming. And the thing that strikes me is that the first duty of government is to protect its citizens. And on every front, Biden and his administration are not protecting the people. Border security translates into home security. And people want to mm -hmm. feel safe in their communities. And then add that to defunding and demoralizing the police where they're wanting to quit, um, you know, then this transgender agenda where they want to put men in women's private spaces. Um, they want to take our guns. You know, Biden's talking about executive orders to diminish our Second Amendment rights and our ability to defend ourselves. They're negotiating with terrorists in the Middle East. They're 
um, cozying up to China in every way they are not protecting us. They're making us vulnerable on every front. I appreciate you and uh, Congressman Banks and the others that went down to the border to see this firsthand and tell that story because Americans are not getting it from the legacy media. They don't want to talk about it because this is a vulnerability for Democrats right now because you're absolutely right. They're making America vulnerable. Congresswoman Miller, thanks so much for taking time to, uh, to join us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I would tell you, it's appropriate that former President Trump went down there because this is one of the policies that he put in place that worked. You know, he faced every obstacle. They didn't want to give him the money, so he did it. Guess what? It worked. And his policies, they wouldn't work with him, but he did it unilaterally within the law, and it worked. All right, when we come back, Gene Mills from Louisiana Forum joins us to talk about what's happening in Louisiana. That's next. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org slash blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAN to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAN to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And again, uh, team uh, members standing by to take your call if you'd like to partner with us. This is the final day of our fiscal year, and so we're uh, just a tad bit short. And we certainly would appreciate you standing with us to ensure that Washington Watch continues on the almost 800 stations across the nation Give us a call, 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008 to talk with one of our team members, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, 
Last week, Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards vetoed the Fairness in Women's Sports Act, which, among other provisions, makes athletic teams or sporting events designated for females, girls, uh, or women open only to students who are women. How about that? Biological females. Since then, conservatives have been pushing for the state's first veto override session since the uh, since our state, Louisiana, still my home state, uh, adopted and ratified our 1974 Constitution. So even in my time, almost a decade in the legislature, we had some bills the governor vetoed. Uh, but there was never a time in which the legislature called, its back, called itself back into session to override a veto. Well, adding to this is the legislature passed a number of other bills that the governor vetoed, including a constitutional carry. Uh, meaning that if you're over the age of 18 and you are not a criminal, uh, you can carry a gun concealed. Texas uh, also, I think, passed that during this year's, uh, their legislative session this year. So you combine those and there is momentum for the legislature coming back into session and overriding the governor's veto of the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. Joining me now to talk more about this is uh, Gene Mills, president of the Louisiana For- Family Forum, which among the groups, uh, which is among the groups who pushed lawmakers to hold the session, uh, and they helped uh, spearhead a number of the pro-family bills. There are affiliate in Louisiana. Gene, welcome back to the program. It's good to be with you, Tony. All right, Gene, give us the latest. Where do we stand on the legislature coming back in for a veto override, and what are the prospects of them overriding the governor on this uh, women's sports bill? It looks very promising right now. You know, the last time we spoke just a few days ago, it was up to the Speaker of the House, who then uh, was slow to act and slow to respond. He has since put out a statement saying not only does he support the veto override session, he would support the veto override. We, we then shifted attention to the Senate President, Paige Cortez. I understand there was a late-night meeting last night between the Governor, the Senate President, the House Speaker, And I think it was a pretty strong conversation, and the governor walked away with a very real understanding that Louisiana was not budging on this question. Louisiana ladies, families, our women and girls deserve protection on this playing field and on the podiums. And I think the idea of a session is almost inevitable now. It's even being reported by the business report that we have votes both in the House and the Senate. And this is quite significant for the benefit of our viewers and listeners from other parts of the country. Louisiana has a constitutionally strong governor, the way our government is arranged, uh, the way our tax structure is set. The governor wields a lot of influence because of the money that he controls that comes into the state's general budget and then is divvied out for education and other things. Uh, So this would be quite significant. Probably it's the reason that this would be the first time since the Constitution was ratified in 1974 uh, to do this. Now, nothing is done until it's done. What can and what should our listeners and viewers in Louisiana be doing? Well, obviously, the pressure that your listening audience has begun to exert, coupled with our efforts and others, has moved the needle with regard to the state legislators. I think we need to continue to hold that support. So while we may have the numbers today, the ballots don't go out for a veto override session until July 5th. We may have additional vetoes to consider as late as July 3rd, and then the ballots are returned by July 15th or 16th. So this is a waiting game. 
and it's a can you hold your support game. So at this point, I would encourage your listening audience to contact the Speaker of the House and the Senate President, thank them for their support of a veto session, and encourage them to bring their conservative membership and their legislative bodies to the table for deliberations and an override. And they can do that by simply calling the Capitol at 225-342-6945 and encourage Clay Shakespeare and Paige Cortez to hold steady. All right, again, that, uh, that number, I know it by heart, uh, 225-342-6945, the number to call, ask for the House Speaker. And, of course, this, I'd love to involve the rest of you across the country, but we're really talking to those in Louisiana. Um, I would encourage you, if you live in the state of Louisiana, to, uh, to pick up the phone, make the call, 225-342-6945, speak to the House Speaker's office and the Senate President. So give us, uh, Gene, again, the, uh, very quickly, the timeline that this may unfold. Okay, so we're going to hear of any additional vetoes. If I were advising the governor and he hasn't asked me to advise him, I would stand down on any new vetoes because that will make this inevitable, though it may be inevitable anyway. By July 3rd, July 5th, the ballots go out. By July 15th, we'll know whether or not there's going to be a veto override session. The session will occur between the 20th and the 25th. But I think okay. this is going to go quickly and it will rise and fall on the people and the Senate president and their leadership. All right, uh, Gene Mills, thanks so much for joining us. I know that this is not the last time we'll talk about this, so uh, we'll be talking soon. Thanks so much for joining us. And, folks, again, if you're in Louisiana, make the phone call, 225-342-6945. You can make a difference. I've said before, our republic is designed for participants, not spectators. All right, when we come back, China, big threat. We're going to talk about it with Gordon Chang, new satellite images we're going to talk about what is religious freedom and why should you care about it both domestically and internationally by definition religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs at family research council we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect tragically not all governments do Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation. 
to stand for truth and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray Vote Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. And again, we've got uh, team members standing by to take your phone call. If you'd like to partner with us, the last day of our fiscal year. And if you want to make sure that Washington Watch continues on the station you're listening to, uh, or you just want to partner with us so that we can continue to be your voice in our nation's capital, give us a call, 800-225-4008, 800-225-4008. Again, this is the end of our fiscal year, and so this is the last day uh, we'll be uh, taking your phone calls and your pledges. So please give us a call and uh, partner with us. All right, tonight I also want to encourage you to join in uh, the Pray Vote Stand tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The focus, the radical left's attempt to sow division and rewrite American history. It's happening in schools all across the country. What's behind it? Why are they doing it? Dr. Ben Carson, who was a part of the 1776 Commission, is going to be with me. We're going to be talking about why our history is so important, why it's under attack, and more importantly, what you can do about it. Then uh, Pastor Carter Conlon, overseer of Times Square Church in New York City, is going to be joining us to lead us in praying for the nation, as well as addressing what does the Bible have to say about our history? Why is it important that we know it? Is it important? That's tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray Vote Stand. You can join us at prayvotestand.org. All right, yesterday, the uh, House GOP, after asking, 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 and asking Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats to have a hearing on the origins of the coronavirus, they had one themselves, and they called in a number of experts to give testimony. Uh, here is Congressman Steve Scalise, the Republican whip, opening up yesterday's hearing. What was the origin of COVID-19? We've asked that question for more than a year and requested that the House majority hold hearings to investigate the origins of COVID-19. Perplexingly, Speaker Pelosi has refused to allow a single hearing, calling it a diversion. As the American people will hear today from our expert witnesses, this is far from a diversion. 
Joining me now to talk more about this and breaking news of uh, satellite photos showing an exp- what could be a major expansion of China's nuclear capabilities is Gordon Chang. Uh, he is author of The Coming Collapse of China. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Uh, Gordon, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tony. All right. Uh, you and I have been talking about this for a year and a half uh, since the virus came out. We suspected, you suspected, we talked about the all the evidence pointed to the lab in Wuhan. That appears to be the consensus. Uh, actually, I think it was unanimous from the experts who testified yesterday that that's where it came from. Yeah, there's two things, Tony. First of all, there's the virus itself, SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen. It looks engineered because there are unusual combinations of amino acids. There's a double CCG sequence, which is doesn't appear in nature, which means there was gene splicing. But also there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. We have heard, for instance, three researchers from the Wuhan Institute in November 2019 fell ill with COVID-19-like symptoms and were hospitalized. This list goes on and on. So this is important because if this was a biological weapon, we have got to take action to defend ourselves. That actually was a part of the questioning Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee asked the witnesses about the CCP submission to the Biological Weapons Convention in 2011, raising the concerns that communist China could use genetic markers to create biological weapons. Yes, and and we know that China's working on pathogens that will attack specific ethnic genetic groups. And so that means, for instance, that the next bug from China could leave the Chinese immune, but sicken and kill everybody else, which means it could be a civilization killer. And we know that regardless of the source of SARS-CoV-2, that Chinese leader Xi Jinping took steps to deliberately spread this disease beyond China's borders which means that this committed an act of mass murder, which means he feels he got away with killing 3.9 million people outside of China, which means there'll be no inhibitions of spreading the next disease. And there's a lot of material from China's military itself that talks about how World War III will primarily be fought with biological weapons. Gordon, when we talk of gain of function, and that's what we're talking about, making these uh, viruses more lethal, Is there evidence to substantiate the claims that the United States uh, was helping in this effort through the funding of the Wuhan Wuhan lab? Yes. Well, Fauci's Institute at NIH provided grants to Echo Health Alliance, which is a New York NGO, for the purpose of sending that money on to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to conduct bat coronavirus research. Now, Fauci says that he did not authorize gain-of-function. But there have been papers that have been issued by researchers at the Wuhan Institute about what they did with bat coronaviruses. And it's clear that they were engaged in gain-of-function experimentation, which means that Fauci should have known that regardless of what restrictions he put on his funding, his money was used, in effect, for biological weapons research. So Fauci just um, was not forthcoming when he was questioned by the Senate on this because he had to know what his research funds were being used for. So, so Gordon, for the layman, and I would include myself in this, I'm not a scientist, what would be the productive benefit of 
the gain of function of doing this with the Communist Party of China? I mean, what did America have to gain by that? Nothing. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be a virologist to know that we were uh, we were engaged in funding research that should have not have been conducted in the first place. This was so dangerous that the Obama administration prohibited Americans on American soil from doing this. And what Fauci effectively did was he outsourced this to China because he has been on record as saying that gain of function uh, research is important. You know, there's, that's a technical conversation. I actually think that there's no benefit for doing this. And so really what we have here is an invasion of American law. All right. If you could find a reason to do it, I certainly wouldn't do it with the Communist Party of China, uh, given the track record of what they've been doing um, to America, the threats that they pose. Why in the world? Would you ever partner with China? Um, the only reason, Tony, I think, is because China permitted this. And that's why we have a lot of American researchers and technicians going to China, because they can do there what they can't do here. And wow. let's be clear what Fauci did. Fauci was funding China's biological weapons program. He yeah. had to know that was happening. This was wrong fundamentally. This was wrong on so many different levels. This really, Gordon, for me, just highlights the moral implosion that is taking place in, in uh, not, not just government, but business as well. Because, you know, you re read about Nike and the record sales that Nike's having. And, you know, they're benefiting. They have benefited from slave labor in China. And you've got these American companies that are tripping over themselves to do business with China when China... I mean, this shows they don't have good intentions for the rest of the world. Well, they certainly don't. You know, just on the issue of Nike, um, they had to know um, that through a subcontractor uh, in Qingdao, their shoes were being made uh, in a facilities that looked like a concentration camp by Uyghur women. In other words, by people who were there had no choice to be there. In other words, slaves. So Nike, which has the gall to lecture Americans about all sorts of things, was intentionally using slave labor of racial minorities to build their to uh, to uh, build their shoes. Yeah, uh, that the, the, the height of hypocrisy. Um, yeah, Nike can jump high when it comes to hypocrisy. Uh, they uh, they know no bounds. Let, let's uh, transition because I think this these two issues are related. When you look at the potential biological threat that China poses to the rest of the world. Then you look at these uh, latest, uh, this is breaking news today, commercial satellite photographs that um, reveal over 100 new silos for ICBMs uh, in China. What do we know about this, Gordon? Well, there are 119 circular holes in Gongsu province. Um, which look like they're building silos for intercontinental ballistic missiles. Also, elsewhere in China, there are 26 other silos under construction. So the total is 145. Really what China is doing here is it is developing something that it's never had before. And that is it's always had a land-based deterrent, but their missiles, their ICBMs, uh, land-based ICBMs were on mobile launchers. 
what they're doing now is starting to put them into silos from all we can tell. Now, these could be decoys. We don't know what they're going to do with them, but we have to assume that they're actually going to put 145 missiles into them. And, and for various technical reasons relating to the, how deterrence works, I think the land-based portion, um, in other words, these silos, are going to be the most critical part of China's deterrence um, or China's offensive capability. Yeah, I, I do think we have to, to uh, put out the, the possibility that uh, they are silos without the missiles. I mean, this is where the art of war came from. Sun Tzu would uh, suggest that that's a good tactic. Uh, but we also, knowing their ill intent, uh, need to be watching this. I mean, this is a, if, in fact, these silos are going to contain ICBMs, this is a major expansion of their nuclear, nuclear capabilities, is it not? It certainly appears that, Tony, and I don't believe that these are decoy silos for a number of reasons. But in any event, um, China has not been transparent like the Soviets were. The Soviets were actually fairly transparent about their um, nuclear weapons capability. The Chinese are refusing to discuss this either with Russia or the United States. And, you know, we have a lot of Americans who say, oh, the United States, by modernizing its nuclear forces, is engaging in an arms race. No, we're not. We're just trying to modernize weapons that have not been updated for decades. Um, so we've got a real problem here, and China is fueling this. Um, but, you know, clearly these silos um, are an indication that we've got to go ahead with our land-based modernization efforts because China certainly looks like they're developing a whole new capability with these 145 silos. Other reasons that you believe these are not decoys but they're the real thing? Yes, and, and the reason is that there is a lot of discussion um, and controversy over the modernization of the U.S. land-based um, deterrent, the, the third leg of the triad. And so if for China to actually start building silos, what they're doing is they're strengthening the arguments of those Americans who want to update our land-based deterrent. That doesn't make sense for China in, if they were just having decoys. So, you know, I don't know China's intentions, of course, but we have to assume that these are real and that they're probably yeah, going to be more of them. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. I, I was looking back, uh, you know, we've seen since the first of the year a number of uh, military um, commanders, in, intel community as well, briefing Congress. And, of course, they, they, they are elusive in specifics. But repeatedly, we see China as being identified as the greatest military threat to the United States. Of course, they often talk about the economic. They talk about uh, the cyber. But I'm wondering if the, the military had, uh, in the intel community, had this, you know, before the commercial satellites picked it up. And that is a part of why they are warning about the threat of China. Well, I certainly hope that they picked it up before the, um, the rest of us saw it. You know, right now, um, the Pentagon is scrambling because for decades in responding to political pressure from presidents um, really ignored the China threat. And, and even today, you have President Biden saying the number one military threat to the U.S. is climate change. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely yeah. ludicrous. Yeah. The number one threat to the United States is China because China denies our sovereignty and is challenging U.S. forces in the global commons and is rapidly modernizing their military to where the point is, in many places, their military is far stronger than ours. Yeah, that 
if it were not so dangerous, it would be laughable uh, that global warming is the greatest threat. And the president has repeated that over and over. So it wasn't like it was a stumble or a misstatement. He has repeated it. The Pentagon has picked it up. Uh, and, and that kind of stuff can be deadly when you look at what is happening in, in China. I, I have to say, I'm more concerned about the biological threat that uh, China poses through additional viruses than I am the nuclear. Uh, we can watch the nuclear. We can't see the viruses in how they might release them. Yes, you know, and, and before it became known that there was widespread coronavirus infection in China, there are these reports, unconfirmed, but there are reports that uh, there were all sorts of Chinese agents that came into the United States. And that raises a number of questions. Were they mm -hmm. fleeing the virus? Were they spreading it? We don't know. But we do know the maliciousness of the Chinese system. Um, and yeah. clearly what China did was, and this is the first time in history, Tony, that one nation has attacked all the others. And now, as we mentioned, We've got almost 4 million people who have succumbed to this disease where that should not have spread beyond China's borders in the first place. We need answers and we need them uh, now, as the GOP members have said in Congress. Gordon, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. Always great uh, to talk with you. Very insightful. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Tony. And folks, thank you for being with us as well. And uh, until, uh, well, you still got folks standing by to take your call, 800-225-4008 if you want to partner with us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6. And everything you can do when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.